This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And as the coronavirus outbreak continues to make its way through the U.S., we know that we have that election to think about coming up in November. Democratic primaries ongoing right now, except in a couple of states that have postponed them. Let's not forget about that November election window as well. But assuming that the coronavirus is still a factor, the idea of digitized voting may be considered. The last thing this country needs right now is to have people contracting the virus while waiting in line to vote. Lisa Garber is an attorney and lecturer in Wharton's Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department. She recently did an opinion piece on this idea in Newsweek, and she joins us right now. Lisa, nice to talk to you today. Thank you for your time. Hi, Dan. Great to be on with you today. And I, too, am working from home. Thank you. Yeah, it it is kind of the norm right now. And uh, seemingly that's going to be, I think, the question for voting moving forward. It's been brought up a couple of times during the primaries that we have seen in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, there isn't a full system in place right now to have people vote from home, but I guess it's something that that you have to consider at this point. Definitely. And cybersecurity and voting has been a fraught issue for at least a decade now. But when you think about going to the polls in this environment, it's a picture of crowds of people going in and out of polling booths that are not getting sanitized or wiped down in between. You're definitely not going to have six feet of room between people voting. So how can you send people into that kind of environment? That's the real problem here. So give us a sense of of what the state of digitized voting is in the United States right now. The state of digitized voting is really a patchwork right now, and that's the nicest way I can put it. Really, there's a, their states are following different protocols, different measures. There are a couple of different federal acts that are in very preliminary stages right now. You look at the Voting System Cybersecurity Act of 2019, which is looking to amend a 2002 act on voting. But right now, there's no standard. So there are a couple of states that have implemented apps that allow for mobile voting for our uniformed men and women, and then also people with disabilities, but there's no real standard, and there's certainly no nationwide way to vote electronically. So what we're seeing right now are options for absentee voting, and that's really what I wrote about for Newsweek most recently, which is there are new laws that are called, quote-unquote, no-excuse laws, so that you can vote via absentee measures without a disability or a time conflict. You really don't need an accepted excuse to vote absentee. Yeah. So the process is made simple and more efficient, but there's still some problems inherent in that as well. But what would need to occur, and obviously a lot of this would be, would be build out, but what would need to occur to see us have a, a significant plan in place to have a program of digitized voting in this country? We need to better understand the technology back end. So a lot of people are advocating for not just cybersecurity and digitized elections, but also blockchain. So blockchain is that immutable ledger. And a lot of people not in this field don't really understand how blockchain works, essentially. And definitely to the average American, it doesn't sound super trustworthy just as Social media was so inherently a part of misinformation campaigns and other issues in digitized, a digitized approach to elections. So really, it's understanding that technological back end. And a great example of misunderstanding in this field is the Iowa caucus app. And you saw that great disaster come about a couple months ago. And you look at how the application really wasn't thoroughly vetted. There were a lot of issues with getting the votes counted. 
And that's part of the problem. We don't have enough set up. We don't understand the technological back end, and there's not enough vetting going on. Right. And when you have something occur like what what happened with the Iowa caucuses, that obviously puts a little bit more of a negative light on it. And, and you know, the voting process obviously has been uh, uh, looked at uh, quite significantly in the last few years anyway, with the concerns of what, what may or may not have occurred uh, during 2016. Exactly. And a couple states have definitely dealt with this head on. Alaska was a state that offered online absentee ballot ballot submissions back in 2018. They've now they've now stopped that. West Virginia also had a very newsworthy app that offered mobile voting. And they actually recently, just last month, canceled use of that because different cybersecurity experts came forward and said it wasn't thoroughly vetted enough. And so a lot of these states are facing pushback to their efforts to be proactive about digitization. Part of the problem is funding. Part of the problem is a lack of understanding. Well, and then you just have the the general concern that we have in our use of the Internet anyway about uh, misinformation and also hacking. And when you throw those elements in as well, it, it makes it a significant challenge. Certainly. Fundamentally, anything that's connected to the Internet can be hacked by definition. So when you look at the problems that we saw back in 2016, misinformation campaigns, there's a lot of distrust being spread about the idea of digitized elections. And that's not to say that a digitized election couldn't also have a paper trail. But the fact is, as a society, we're moving towards digitized elections. The coronavirus pandemic is now proving that we really need a better option. So we need to be proactive about it. We are joined uh, on the phone by Lisa Garber, an attorney and lecturer in Wharton's Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department. We're talking about the idea of digitized voting. And and I don't think there's much question, Lisa, that at some point we're going to see this as maybe the norm of, of of how we vote. And it may very well be. 20 years down the line or or 30 years down the line, I'm not sure what the time frame would be, but as much as we've seen go digital in the first place with our lives in general, why not see voting be part of that, correct? Exactly. And you look at, for example, the census. The 2020 census is the first census to proactively ask respondents to participate online. And so if you look at that really precedent-setting example Elections are going to have to take a digitized form. Many states are being proactive about it and offering mobile applications. We've seen it for our uniformed men and women overseas, uh, citizens living abroad as well, those digitized options. But now we're seeing more states. There's about two-thirds of the United States have offered these no-excuse laws that allow for expanded absentee voting measures that take place online, meaning you can submit your absentee ballot online, you can actually request a ballot online, you can scan your forms of ID and submit those online. So there are many different options right now. I think it's going to take a while for us to get a little less disjointed in our approach to this method, but we're definitely going to see it, and I think sooner rather than later. But how much of that is known by the public in general right now? Hopefully now, though, after listening to this show, they'll understand a bit more. But I think it's definitely it's not something that we're seeing covered that much. People are definitely wary of anything connected to the Internet, and rightfully so. We have data breaches occurring every second of every day. The idea of having voter information not just hacked and leaked, but also used and manipulated maliciously is a definite worry. And there have been issues with some of the mobile voting apps, like we saw with the Iowa caucus app, that have been breached. 
and uh, misused. But then we also have hackers maliciously accessing voter registration systems that are stored online, databases of voter registration being exposed due to incorrect configurations. There are so many issues that come about related to cybersecurity and digitized elections. But at the same time, paper isn't super... Uh, trustworthy either. You have, you know, ballots getting stuck together, things being miscounted, the whole Chad dilemma. So really, the only option is to be proactive about the digitized approach, which is really going to be the way forward. Well, and part of this will also be our government saying, yes, okay, let's move forward with this. And I'm sure that there is just like hesitancy in the public in general, there's hesitancy on Capitol Hill with this. Exactly. It's a great point, Dan, because it's another budget line item. So the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, is trying to implement uh, new legislation regarding cybersecurity and digitized voting. But we know how bureaucratic systems work. It's going to take a while. And that's why states are trying to be more proactive on an individualized basis. But this really, you know, step-by-step approach is problematic for multiple reasons. You don't have a unified standard and you don't have a unified methodology to approaching the technology behind it. We're joined by Lisa Garber, who is an attorney and lecturer in Wharton's Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department. She had recently done an opinion piece on the idea of uh, digitized voting uh, in Newsweek. And I guess you mentioned it before, but it is in part, just getting the message out there, your article, doing a a segment on this show about it, the more you start to get the idea into the minds of the public, the more that people will be willing to at least consider it. And then there's also the factor of of the generational idea. Obviously, I think uh, you have many more millennials and younger generations who feel comfortable with elements uh, of digital nature than maybe the baby boomer generation has. It's so true. And on the flip side, though, you look at the generations that are using digitized platforms like social media platforms, Facebook, Amazon, Google. And so I think that's pretty widespread. I think the problem here is a distrust for things that are connected to the Internet in general. And that's why we really need to be proactive. I think especially in this environment of the coronavirus pandemic for the elderly generations, they have to stay away from this kind of, you know, really close-knit polling system that we have. And in November, let's say the coronavirus pandemic is still going strong, we're going to have to have a different way of doing this. Right. And there really is no way in general right now in mass to get around having, you know, hundreds of people potentially at a polling place at any one time standing in line You know, it's very hard if you have that many people to separate them by six to eight feet to make sure you have that social distance in place. Oh, it's so true. And and the other issue is, you know, this is a fundamental idea for the the United States is our ability to cast our vote in every election. And why not have this other option, this digitized option. Part of the problem is that every time an application comes out, a mobile app that's connected to the internet or something that's connected to the internet related to voting, you get heavy criticism by cybersecurity experts. And on the one hand, yes, it's true. Look at the Iowa caucus app. It wasn't properly vetted. And that's why we had so many issues. The West Virginia voting app, I think it's called Votes was recently suspended. Alaska had a voting application uh, that was also suspended. And the problem is they're, A, either released too soon, or B, 
they're just not vetted enough and you have to give them the care and attention. So it's great to criticize it, but let's be a bit more proactive and show our citizens that this can be done properly. We just have to invest the time and the money into it. Lisa Garber joining us, attorney and lecturer at the Wharton uh, School in the Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department. How confident are you, though, that that we can that we can move forward? And, and our Twitter poll question today is thinking about 2024. How confident are you that that maybe we might see something that soon? I'm not super confident, yeah. to be honest. I think I love the poll results that people are getting more confident in digitized elections. I would love seeing that, but we need more money invested into it. Our government is not giving the care and attention cybersecurity and voting requires. Look at the you can look at the state of our state and federal laws related to privacy and data breaches in general, right? We still have not met the EU in terms of a regulated standard for data privacy and data breaches. We're still at a state-by-state patchwork. There's federal laws that are also in a patchworky nature. And so then you look at digitized elections, we're just not there yet. So in the next four years, sure, if they inject billions of dollars into this time, the right experts will get there. But the point is, this is unavoidable. The coronavirus really highlights that. But we got it. We got to invest the time and money. What's the expectation that, uh, that that we will see, at least with some of these states that have had to postpone their voting and, and how they will be able to, yeah. to deal with this? Well, it's tricky. We're now in a really time crunch situation because we're seeing everything postponed, including these primary elections. And we're just not ready, even if they're postponed a couple months. And that's leaving alone the presidential election in the fall. A couple months is obviously not enough time to thoroughly vet, create, invest in a mobile app that's going to work properly for digitized elections. What we're looking at now is we have to have a combination system of a digitized voting method plus a paper audit option. And so hopefully the government is realizing that with some of these acts that are being set forth in uh, Congress, but we're not seeing that happen yet. So hopefully this will really light a match uh, for our government to take this more seriously. Lisa, thanks very much for your time. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Lisa Garber, attorney and lecturer in Wharton's Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.